they do with them, they'll put them into a photo collage. And so if you've gone to a memorial service or a visitation or been at a funeral uh, in the last several years, what you'll often see is the funeral home now plays some type of presentation on a screen with really sentimental music on it, and you kind of get to walk through the life of that person. My One of my uncles passed away last year in northern Ohio, and we drove up, and they had poster boards of picture, of photo collages all around the room, pictures I'd never seen before, my uncle and family, and it, within 15 minutes, I did a, a tour de force through his life. He just walked around from poster board to poster board, and on that poster board was, here's a section of his life when he was a kid, and here's one as a teenager, and just walked through his life. Now, I mention that because I think we all have that experience, going to a visitation, funeral, or memorial service, and you get to walk through a person's life in a matter of minutes because of these photo collages. That's kind of what I want to do today. kind of want to take a journey through a photo collage looking at God. We've been looking at snapshots, biblical pictures of generosity, We looked at snapshots of the early church and their generosity. We looked at these snapshots of what happened when people came into contact with Jesus and how generosity overflowed. Today I want God, the God of Israel, to be front and center. I want to see snapshots of Him. And I think we'll learn something about generosity in our day. Make some application that has something to do with the life you live right here in 2020. So we're going to open up our photo album. I remember our photo album is the Bible. We're just going to open it up. And we're going to start with the first picture of the photo album. Genesis 1-1. And there we read those first words. Here it is. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That's the first snapshot in the photo album that God created. The heavens and the earth. He created something out of himself. Most gods around the world want to make themselves bigger. If they have a chance to grow, they're going to grow. If they can gain more power, they will go on conquest. But the God of Israel, what he does is that he creates something outside of himself so that something expands beyond him. He doesn't just invest himself in the creation. It's not like the pew you're sitting on or the couch you're on at home, is God. No, it is something different than God. In the beginning, God created something out of himself so that it could expand. This is different than the gods of the world. He's not in the business of getting bigger. He's already big. He is what C.S. Lewis calls the dance of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Literally inside of God is love, generosity. He is three in one, one in three. Dallas Willard was often asked, what was God doing before he created the world? And Dallas Willard would answer, God was enjoying themselves. Do you feel feel the dissonance there? There it is. You see, God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, the God of Israel, in the beginning created out of himself, not so that he could be bigger, so that he could expand generously and share. And what does he do? At the climax of the creation, we see that he is giving himself away. 
Genesis 1, we'll look at verse 27, 29. Look at what happens here. So God created mankind in his own image. And in the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth. And every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food, and to all the beasts of the earth, and all the birds in the sky, and all the creatures that move along the ground, everything that has breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food, and it was so. So there, in that first page of the photo album, we see not only God creating something outside of himself, not so he can be bigger, but so he can share And then in one of the next photos next to it, we see that at the climax of the creation, God gives away His image so that it can be in the creation at the pinnacle, which is human beings. And then, to top it off, He then gives them good things to eat and enjoy. There's a lot of pleasure going on in this Garden of Eden. Now, if you go to the next page in the photo album, We're going to see that same picture, that same snapshot from a different angle. Not only does God share His image, He gives something else away. He was doing this there in chapter 1, but again, it's a picture from a different angle. Look at chapter 2, verse 7. Then the Lord God formed man from the dust of the ground, and what did He do here? He breathed into His nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. So there, at the beginning, there was a human being that had all the skeletal and muscle muscle structure that you need to be a human being. He wasn't yet living until God gave. So here, at the front of the photo album, we see God giving. And He gives abundantly. This is a God who loves to share. Not to acquire and take, but to give away, expand. This is generosity. Now, I think you have, you have looked at the photo album before. Like, you've probably seen these snapshots before I ever stood up on stage. Because you know what happens next. Well, these first humans, they didn't love to share in the generosity. What they want, they wanted to take and hoard. They wanted to keep it all for themselves because maybe they could be God themselves. And so, unfortunately, in the collage are some very sad pictures. Genesis 3, verse 6, we read this, When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food, pleasing to the eye, and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. This was an attempt to grab, to hoard, to gain the upper hand on the Creator. It's a sad picture in the photo. And it gets worse. Because after they eat the forbidden fruit, God comes along. He sees everything that has been done. The rebellion is now exposed. And in Genesis 3.23, we see this really sad picture. So the Lord God banished him from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he had been taken. They are removed from God's presence in the Garden. You can't try to be God and live with God. There will only be one God. And he will have no rebel living in his presence. And 
And so Adam and Eve are removed. This is the consequence of sin. This is not a mental illness. This is not, this is not a physical malady. This is sin. It is rebellion. And it is seeped now into the human heart and they are removed. But right next to that photo, that very sad photo in Genesis 3.23, we see that before he banished them, before they were removed, this God that overflows with generosity, he wouldn't give up on them. Because when they ate the forbidden fruit, they were exposed and their nakedness was revealed. Dallas Willard, and I'll mention him again, thinks that Adam and Eve were literally glowing. There was something about having the life of God in you that you glowed. There was something about them that radiated. They didn't know they were naked. They were just enjoying all that God had. But when sin entered, something about the glow went away. And they were exposed. And you and I still sit in that same situation now. But there's something about that glow that was gone. They were naked. Now, they tried to gather up leaves and cover themselves. You see that in the kids' books, don't you? All those leaves. But that's not what God gave them. God brought a solution. We find it, verse 21, this is that picture. Just before they're banished, here God shows generosity. The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed. Before he removed them, he wasn't going to let them sit in their shame, in their nakedness, with leaves covering them. God was going to take care of it for them. Generosity. And before, before he gave them clothes, he also had one more act of generosity we might just pass over. But most theologians call it the first giving of the good news. He has this moment where he talks to the serpent, the woman, and the man. And when he talks to the serpent, the one who tempted Adam and Eve, he gives a promise. I'm going to call it a generous promise. A generous promise, the giving of the first gospel. A proclamation that something else is coming. Genesis 3.15, here's what God says to the serpent. This generous promise. He says, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and hers, he will crush your head and you will strike his heel. One day, there would be an offspring that would come from Adam and Eve that would crush the head of the evil one. Now, he will strike his heel, but in the end, this offspring will win. So that's, that's the first few pictures of the photo album. Well, it doesn't get much better after they leave the garden. In Genesis chapter 4, Cain kills Abel. But after Cain kills Abel, we see right next to it on the collage that God gave Eve Seth in place of the son she lost. Generosity. Generosity. In the middle of evil and murder, God gave generously back to Eve. Then in Genesis 6 through 9, you might remember humanity continues to spiral down. They get more and more wicked, so wicked that God says, I have to eliminate all humans. We're going to have to do a reset. Well, until he is overflowing with generosity to one person in his family. 
in the middle of destruction to eliminate evil, God gives salvation to Noah and his family so that a remnant is kept. He didn't have to. He does because he's generous. Well, then after the flood and after Noah is saved and they get off the ark, God talks to Noah. And there again we see a God of generosity. We see another picture in the album of God just giving things away. Genesis 9.3, here's what we read. Everything that lives and moves about will be food for you. Just as I gave you the green plants, I now give you everything. Again, a God full of generosity. He can't but be generous. But then things get worse. Right next to this great declaration of generosity, Noah himself spirals down. And he goes wayward. Then in Genesis chapter 11, we see that humans have gathered together. And they want to build a structure to the heavens so they can be the God of the universe. God looks down on it and he confuses their tongues. And he scatters them. There will be no human God on earth. There will be one God. And so he scatters them and he removes their rebellion. But if that's the last picture we saw was this great unity of rebellion, this great unified front of the nations coming together, they want to rebel against God building what is called the Tower of Babel. Well, that would be a really bleak picture in the photo album. That'd be a really sad place to end the story. If we close the album right there, there'd be very little hope. But when you turn the page in the album, when you go from Genesis 11 to Genesis 12, we see that God of generosity, the God who gave so abundantly in the beginning, and to Noah, he then chooses one man and his family to be a blessing to the world. You see, God never gave up on humans. He's going to make things right. Genesis 12, 1 through 3, here's the great promise he gives to Abram, who will be Abraham eventually. The Lord has said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great. And you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. That promise sits as a hope for the world. Now, Abraham's descendants, they also go wayward. Eventually, they end up in Egypt. And as we flip through the photo album, we see they've spent 430 years in Egypt until God graciously gives them what we might call a savior, a leader that can bring them out of Egypt. Most of you know him, Moses. God graciously gives them this leader who will carry a message to Pharaoh and eventually then Moses will lead the people out. And then God will give them safe passage through the Red Sea. Then in the wilderness, the people will go wayward again, but God still won't give up on them. He will give them food. And just before they enter the promised land, that land that God so graciously gives this people, this people that will bless the whole world, God gives them a warning through the mouth of Moses. Because in the story, 
that we see as we flip through the photo album, we see God being generous over and over and over again. But he warns them, do never think that you did this on your own. Never take credit for everything I've given you. It's a stern warning. It's one of my favorites. It's probably one of my favorite passages in the Old Testament. Deuteronomy chapter 10, here's the warning. Chapter 8, verse 10 through 18. Here's God speaking through Moses to the people just before they go into the promised land. When you have eaten and are satisfied, praise the Lord your God for the good he has given you. Be careful that you do not forget the Lord your God, failing to observe his commands, his laws, and his decrees that I am giving you this day. Otherwise, when you eat and are satisfied, when you build fine houses and settle down, and when your herds and flocks that grow large and your silver and gold increase and you and all you have is multiplied, then your heart will become proud and you will forget the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. He led you through the vast and dreadful wilderness, that thirsty and waterless land with its venomous snakes and scorpions. He brought you water out of hard rock. He gave you manna to eat in the wilderness, something your ancestors had never known to humble and test you so that in the end it might go well with you. You may say to yourself, my power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. But remember the Lord your God, for He is the one who gives you the ability to produce wealth. And so confirms his covenant, which he swore to your ancestors as it is today. That's a timely word. That's a word that's going to go all the way to the new creation. Be very careful that you don't think that your ability to teach or work on cars or work on a human body or play music or preach or anything else you do well, don't you dare think you gave yourself that ability. And anything you gain from it all comes from you. Don't ever forget the God who gave you those abilities. Don't ever think that all the wealth or all your possessions are yours because you were were talented enough to grab them. They were given to you by your God. Ah, we need this word today. This is a good one. But you know what happens? Israel forgets. They forget. And it is a very sad story. And so what we want to do is just kind of keep flipping. We're just going to flip through the photo album, we're just going to just hyperspeed all the way to one of the last prophecies of the Old Testament. We just go and fast forward to Malachi, about 400 years before Jesus shows up on the scene. Malachi is this prophet coming to Israel in the land, and he gives a warning, speaking the words of God to a people that have gone wayward. He's telling what he'll tell them. Take a look, Malachi 3. 6 through 9. I, the Lord, do not change. So you, the descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed. Ever since the time of your ancestors, you have turned away from my decrees, and you've not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. But you ask, how are we to return? Will a mere mortal rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, How are we robbing you? In tithes and offerings. You are under a curse, your whole nation, because you are robbing me. 
There is something connected to the to pride in the human heart and stinginess. Proud people often don't give generously. And what we see is this people that God called to be His, His nation were to give back a certain portion of what God gave them. Why would He ask of that? Ask them to do that? Is it because God needed an extra 10%? Or He was lacking somehow? No. It's because giving back the 10% was a way of training them to trust God. You think it was easy when you're hungry to give up one of your animals for a sacrifice? Can you imagine taking a cow to slaughter and not getting any of the food to eat? Cows are expensive. I wouldn't slaughter a cow, have a cow slaughtered so someone else could have it and, and burn up most of it. I wouldn't do that. That didn't make any sense. But God says, you bring me a portion of your livestock, you bring me a portion of your finances, because you will learn to trust me, and it will train you to remember that I gave you everything you had. That is a way of worship. Not that God needed it, but He needed what needs to happen in the human heart to happen in His people. And that happens with the giving of money. And here He says, you have robbed me because you're keeping it for yourself. You are hoarding you have the same problem that I saw with Adam and Eve back in the beginning. You're trying to take. And I am a God who gives. But what are they to do? And in one of the last promises of the Old Testament, we read this. Malachi 3.10, Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty. And see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough Often these people would keep back the 10% thinking if they hoarded the 10%, they were safe. God says, give the 10% and I'll give you 20, 30, 40, 50. I'll double it. Stop thinking that it comes from you. Stop the hoarding. You give the 10% and you watch what I do to show you my provision. That's what he does. And that's where the Old Testament sits. But you know what they do with that, right? They don't do much with it. The story gets even more bleak. And when we get right up to the first century, it looks like all is lost. And so here we turn in the photo album to the snapshot. We remember that God didn't leave them in their hopelessness. God remembered that promise He made back in Genesis 3.15 where He said, I will send someone, there will be an offspring, and He will crush the head of the evil one. Well, I think maybe the way to show, to, to look at that great snapshot, the ultimate snapshot, is to just go ahead and pick that famous verse that I think we all know. Genesis, uh, Genesis John 3.16. John 3.16. For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son, that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. Gave. In the ultimate display of generosity, God gives His Son. God in flesh on earth to save a people. He gave. He gave His own life. That's generosity. Now, if you give me a second, I just want to take a quick detour. A commercial, maybe, you, call, you might call it. Over the next four weeks, starting next Sunday, we're going to take a look at that great gift. We're going to start a sermon series, a four-week series called A Different Story. 
We're hearing a lot of stories today. The stories of despair and death and sickness and viruses. I think there's a different story. God is often writing a different story than the one we see in the headlines or moving through our social media feeds. We're going to talk about it four weeks. It starts next Sunday. This isn't to guilt you, but you really don't want to miss that one. Okay? That's a really great graphic. Really, it's going to be that good. That was sarcasm, if you don't know me. All right? I just, we're still learning. Some people might still be learning, getting to know each other. All right. Okay. But really, that's what we start next Sunday. We're going to take a look at that great gift of generosity. All right, let's come back. So, when you get the life, when you get the life of the ultimate gift of generosity, when you get His Spirit, you take on the family resemblance. There are a lot of scriptures we could pick up for this, but I just want to mention one, just a few words. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, the last part of verse 7, Paul wrote this. This gets us to the point so we can move forward. 2 Corinthians 8, 7. Paul writes this, so see that you, this is to the Corinthians, you also excel in this grace of giving. Now we're not going to just open that verse up, we'll just say this. That when the grace of God moves into the life of a person, they take on all the resemblances, all the traits of that family. And that grace inside of a person promotes, motivates, creates generosity. And so this is why it is a, the grace of giving. Paul tells them, because you have the grace of God, now you, you now in turn give that grace away. And it will come in the form of financial gifts in this context. So when you and I, when we slap our snapshot on top of the ultimate snapshot, we take on His life, and His life will create in us a grace that is generous. And so we give, just like He gives. And we become part of the family. Now that has direct application for us, right here in 2020. Here's, we're just going to lean in to one question today. One question for application. Who do we resemble? Who do we resemble? I mean, when you're looking at, when you're looking at your family, who do you resemble? I'm not talking about your immediate family. There are all kinds of conversations we could have about that. We're talking about this bigger, this bigger story that is laid out in this photo album we've just walked here it is. This is how we would describe it, maybe. Do you resemble humans who take, want more and more, claim all the credit, steal and hoard? Is, is that what you look like? Like, so if someone saw a picture of your everyday life, is that what they'd see? Is your house not big enough? You need a bigger one? Now, I'm not saying if you have, like, a pastel of kids, you need to live in a small house. There may be a moment where you need more house. But you get the point. Sometimes people, two people will go and buy 5,000 square feet just to have more space. Why? Why? I have a good friend, a very successful business leader in Indianapolis, and he tells the story, and he's told it to me many times. He and his wife, they don't have kids. They're very successful, particularly him, and he makes a lot of money. And he is connected to people with a lot of influence. 
And they were on the fast track to acquiring more and more and more. And he tells me the story that one day when he was sitting in church, hearing a sermon series on generosity, the preacher that day had a call for the people to downsize so they could give more. Or use their more to bless more. And from that day forward, for the last ten years, they have housed interns. They have housed young people that have needed a place to live because they have been in transition. They have had someone in their house for the last ten years. I think it's 14 different people that have lived with them. Because they said, if we have this big house, we will now use it. And from that day forward, they have given their house to others. So I'm not saying having a lot is the problem. I'm saying having a lot so you can take and hoard, that's the problem. But I also remember that even those that don't have much can give away a lot. I remember that story Jesus told, don't you? That there was a widow who had barely nothing. And she gave everything she had to the temple. And God said she gave more than the rich people giving 10%. So what do you have and how can you use it? I'm just saying does this picture, this picture of humans, does it resemble, does it, does it resemble what you look like in everyday life? And I'm going to be honest, I think you would too if you were up here with me. A lot of me looks like that list. A lot of me looks like that list. I still want to hoard. I still want a big savings account because I want to feel safe. But you know what sits in the back of my head? If I get cancer and i got to go through chemo, you know what's going to happen to a several thousand dollars in a savings account? Gone. You know what happens if we have a car wreck and something happened to our house and we got to pay two deductibles and then a kid gets hurt and we got to pay that deductible? Gone. You know how quick that can happen? Oh, if I told you the story, during the intense moment of quarantine, back in the spring, we had sickness after sickness after sickness, and one of our kids broke two, broke one bone and had stitches in another part of his body. Quarantine. It was the most dangerous part of our year. We paid a lot of money in medical bills during quarantine. I would have thought we were safe. We weren't on the roads as much. They weren't out on playgrounds. No. All we needed was a skateboard and a bike. Those are all we needed, and we could have injury. And we could have deductible after deductible after deductible. You get this point? Do you look like the kind of person that hoards and takes? All right. But then there's that other side of the list. Do we look like God our Father who shares abundantly, graciously blesses, gives good things, and then ultimately gives his own life? That's the goal. So whatever you do have, you can give away. And you know your time actually matters too, so give that away. We can be the kind of people that resemble our Father in Heaven, the grace given us, than the humans who take and hoard. The world is running on hoarding right now. There is a different story under the surface, and God's grace is transforming people. It happens to be that many of you are actually living that story. And you resemble the, that side that has God as the abundance. All right, so let's make a ne- let's take a next step. We can do something with this on the ground this week. Take one more step towards generosity. So my friend in Indianapolis, his call was not to give more money back to the church. His call was to use their big house to house people in need. 
And so they took a step and they opened a room. And they let people use their kitchen and their living room and internet. And they did that all the way up through today. So that's one step you could take. So some of you may have never tithed to a church. Literally, you've just never given money to a church. I would suggest that might be a great next step for you. You need to give money to a church, a group of Christians. You can give it to East 10th or give it to your favorite church in town. The point is to take a step. Some of you might be be giving 1% of your income. Well, in 2021, you might need to give 3%. Take a step. You're not working, you're not trying to run the marathon in a day, you're taking a step. Some of you give a lot. You give over 10%. Well, it might be time for you to ask God to show you new opportunities for generosity. Now, if you pray that, He will show you and you'd be willing to take the steps He gives you. Do you see the point? The point is to take a step. You know I'm a big fan of avoiding superhero next steps. One step. Just one. You take it and you watch God give the provision. Now, you know we are in a giving series, a series where we talk about generosity and real issues related to money. So let me give you a concrete a concrete tool to connect to this next step if it would be useful. It is useful for our church family, so I'll give it to you. If you go online and you go to resources at the top and you go down to commitment card, there's a place you can fill out a commitment card. You fill out a physical one, uh, pick one up on the table in the lobby. The goal here is to make a commitment. You know from last week I told you the story of how Tess and I, our marriage changed at this moment when we filled out one of these cards. So it's a tool. Now it helps us as a church family know kind of what we're looking at for the next year. But I'd recommend that you give that commitment card. Go online, fill that out. It's a tool. It's a tool. Remember, you can be, you can give 10% and be a stingy person. The goal here is to be a cheerful giver and to take one more step in generosity. God wants your heart. And from there will grow a lot of abundance. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for what you have done among us. Thank you for grace. And thank you that you never left humans in darkness, despair, and hopeless. But you made a way and you gave yourself, you gave your son to die for the sins of the world so that we can have life. Now with that grace grow in us so that we can be a generation. Would you bless this church family? Would you bless every church family in this city? Bless every individual, especially those that will take another step towards you. We trust you for our budget. We trust you for our provision. 